what makes me. This is what I am. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Being a Minority in Corporate America podcast. On this episode, we are talking about how to break into Wall Street. Today, our guest is Lamar Nash. He currently works in private wealth management at J.P. Morgan Chase. Lamar is a recent graduate of Fisk University with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. Uh, I met Lamar Nash about two years ago. We were both HBCU VC fellows. And now let's learn more about his journey. Is there a moment in your life that has been pivotal on your success? Um, I wouldn't call it a moment. I would say I actually had a whole year of basically growing. So as a senior in college, in high school, my mom was like, I kind of want to move out of Milwaukee. And I think that I'm going to move down south and you're free to come with me if you want to. But I also understand if you want to stay. And I was like, you know, I'm 17 at the time. I have my own job. Uh, I'm like, you know, yeah, I could probably just stay here and take care of myself. So I was going to stay with my older cousin. And I really realized, like, to be honest, being an adult or like taking care of yourself is a whole different, like it's everything was different. Like I not only had bills for me, like I had to feed myself and everything. And I thought I could because, you know, when you making a little bit of money during the summer or as a high school student, I was making decent money in my job. I'm like, this is easy, but it wasn't. It's probably one of the most challenging things I ever went through. And in that year also, like, a lot of things was happening in my family. Like, to be honest, my, my father was shot uh, right before I graduated. So all of that just came into play. I had to think about, you know, applying to grad to, to college and all of these different things was all happening at the same time. And it was almost like I really became a man. I feel like that year, like I understood what responsibility was really like, not from like a teenage perspective, but from like a grown adult perspective. See what I mean? Yeah. So you had to become an adult fast and manage a lot of priorities. Exactly. Like I thought I knew what prioritizing was, but at that time I didn't like, I remember it was a week where I literally was like, all right, I need some new pair of shoes, right? But my check was only $150. So I'm like, how am I gonna get through the week? And I had to make a choice between food or shoes. Guess guess what I chose? Shoes. I chose the shoes like a dummy. You feel me? Like a dummy. I bought the new J's. I'm like, yeah, I'm stunned. But I'm hungry though. So now I'm like starving in real life. But my shoes fresh though. But I'm starving. I, I just, you know, after time, like, you know, bumping your head a few times, you, you realize, like, I got to make better decisions. So that's what happened. <laughs> so you mentioned during this time you wanted to attend college. Can, can you tell yep. us a little bit about your college journey? Like, was college always an option for you? And why did you decide to attend an HBCU and more specifically Fisk University? So... Being completely honest, uh, college was always an option. My mom drilled into me that uh, I needed to attend a co- attend college. Uh, I think it was probably because like she dropped out and uh, her life kind of changed in a dramatic, dr- dramatic way after. Um, and plus, I think she saw the gap in education between those. I mean, the, the gap in living standards between those that were educated versus those that weren't. I just wanted to get that out the way. Um, but 
honestly, I thought I was going to go to a PWI. Um, for those that don't know, a PWI is a predominantly white institution uh, to start off because that's like all I saw. I went to a predominantly white uh, high school and all of them were thinking about going to Madison, Wisconsin, which is big, or UW-Milwaukee. Uh, and I was thinking like, oh, I'm just going to follow their steps. They're smart kids. I'm smart. Let's all go to the same school. And then I remember my best friend invited me to join what was called the YMCA Black Achievers to go on this black college tour. I'm like, black college tour? What's that? Like, I never heard of a HBCU. I was so, like, out of the loop. I didn't even hear about HBCU until uh, I was 16. And this, mind you, I grew up in, like, a rough neighborhood around all African-Americans. Like, we was all the same. And nobody really knew what HBCU was. So that should kind of tell you about the educational hurdles I had to take, uh, I had to overcome. But I digress. Basically, I went on this tour. I'm like seeing the, the, the frats, the sororities, the atmosphere, how the calf be lit on Fridays and Wednesdays. I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is life. Like, where? Why? I never knew about this. Like. And it's all people of, with beautiful black melanin skin. So I'm like, oh yeah, like this is what I want to be. This is where I want to be, right? So I start research. I'm like, if I'm gonna go to HBCU, it has to be a top institution. So I looked. I'm like, Howard, yeah, maybe Spelman. I mean, Morehouse, yeah, maybe. And Fisk was number three, and it was also cheaper than them too. So I'm like, okay, you know, at that time it was number three. I was like, I can visit there. Plus, I found out I had a cousin that lived, I mean, an uncle that lived in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm like, let me figure out what's going on with this. Went on a, a personal college tour with them and absolutely just fell in love with the, with the school, uh, with the school Fisk. It just seemed like it gave me a different type of atmosphere because, you know, growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I had to be tough. I had to put on the, the exterior of, please do not talk to me. Or if you talk to me, I'm probably go ignore you because like I have to be in a protective shell basically you know growing up in that type of environment we have to use different tools and one of the tools was basically putting on the front that you don't want to be engaged with or you want to hide who you are when in reality like at, at Fisk University and at other HBCUs I hope they teach you that you should be proud of being African American or you should be not so hesitant to accept your other African-American counterparts. And that's what I got, you know, going down south to Fisk University. Like, as soon as I stepped on campus, everybody was so nice, saying hey and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking like, man, I feel like, like, this is so new. Like, I don't know these people. Why are they saying hey? Why are they being friendly? Why are they letting me sit with them and engaging with conversation? Like, and to be honest, like, the women there were beautiful. So I'm like, oh yeah, like this is where I need to be. <laughs> so, so, you know, fast forward, I'm in college and it basically like changed my life, honestly. Gave me a whole new perspective. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with, agree with you. I would say like the biggest um, thing that I gained from go attending an HBCU was confidence. I guess that's kind of mm -hmm. like similar to what you were saying. No, very. Very, I think confidence was like the best thing I ever gained when I was there because 
just being completely honest, like going to where I grew up, I didn't see a lot of successful black faces. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't see a lot of successful African Americans that, you know, had their own business or were doing great things in companies. And I didn't just, just being completely honest. When I went to college, it was like a whole new world of possibilities opened up for me. You know, like my career and my career and like the networking opportunities that were available were something that I didn't receive growing up. So it was all shockingly beautiful to me. And that's the eco the ecosystem that is created at HBCU is something that I think is unrivaled as far as like building black confidence and also building your pride in being African-American or just African-American. So do you think you would be where you are if you decided to attend another university or PWI? So I think it's kind of, it's a little bit cliche to say that, you know, uh, I wouldn't, but I think I would in a way, but not as great. So I put it like, I, I probably put it like this, um, at Fish University, not only, you know, it's a smaller classroom setting. So I got to personally know my teachers. I made a lot of, met a lot of great people that became mentors. And I think that that small family-like atmosphere at that university really cultivated me into the person I am today. Like I literally have built some of the, the best, the best, the best, my best, relationships at that university with my peers as well as like those that are way older than me and those that have knowledge beyond me so from that perspective I think that me not being lost in the shuffle really at Fish it's hard to get lost in the shuffle because you're in such a small population of students therefore like that at, and at that time I was an introvert I was trying to put on the shell so them being able to get to me and basically cultivate me into the man I am today is something that I, I, I truly appreciate. I don't think I could be where I am today if it wasn't for me going to Fisk University. So what ultimately sparked your interest in finance? Was it an organization on campus, a class, or maybe a movie? I remember one day when I was like nine years old, my mom, I mean, my, my dad was talking to this guy and this guy was like, he's pretty successful, I think. You know what I'm saying? And, and from 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 my lens, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he talked to my dad about stocks. And he was like, yeah, man, you should put your money in there. It's gonna grow and all this other stuff. And my dad was listening to him, but he didn't, you know, he weren't. I'm like, what stocks? You know what I mean? Like as a kid, just what stocks? I'm like, I asked DJ about it, which is my uncle, right? And he's like, oh yeah, stocks is where like you can put your money in and it can grow. and like you, you know, like if you put your money into it, it's like go grow no matter what. We had no idea. He had no idea what he was talking about. I had no idea what he was talking about, but I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Why not? We all do this. So I tell my mom about it and she's like, yeah, you know, son, that, that, that sounds good. But like, we don't know nobody that does that. So I'm like, okay, you know, at this time, I don't know nothing about Google. So I'm like, you know what? I like finance, but I have no idea about it. So let me just stay away from it. Then I took a course in high school and it was about finance. And I'm like, oh, this is like actually what I what I enjoy. Like I like numbers. I like basic 
numbers and how I can grow money over time. So I started getting more and more interested. And I had a, a professor um, that be, I had a teacher in high school that basically introduced me to a book. Um, I for, I'm going to be honest, I forgot what the book was called, but I know it talked about stocks, bonds for the first four pages. That's all I read from the book, just being completely honest as well. So at this time, I'm 15. So a book that's not related to homework is not getting read. The fact that I even read four pages was an accomplishment to me personally. So I'm like, okay, cool. At this time, I know what Google is, so I Google what it's about. And like, after that, I was like, okay, I have to be in this industry. I didn't know I wanted to be in private banking, nor did I know that there were so many different avenues of finance. However, I knew I wanted to be in the finance industry from that point on. I also seen like a few people, I met a few people that were in finance and they always seemed to dress nice. Like they had on suits and they drove nice cars and their watches were nice. And I'm like, I don't really see too many people that, that, that day jobs allow them to look this good and also to exude this type of confidence. So I think that that's what I would like to do. So that's what happened. So you currently work in finance and private wealth management at JP Morgan. So how did you land your role in the private bank at JP Morgan? So it's not a commercial. I don't be afraid to do this, but I always wanted to work at JP Morgan. Like always. Uh, I remember as a kid, I went into the branch at 16 when I you know, I stopped using um, check cash in places to, to cash my checks because uh, I found out that they were really, I could cash my checks at a bank for free. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm just gonna start a bank account. I went into a few institutions. I mean, I went to a few other banks and they kind of referred more to my parents than they did to me about the decisions that I was making on my money. And it kind of got annoying. And then I went into Chase, a Chase branch. And they treated me like the adult. And I was like, okay, you know, I got treated with respect. I was the one signing the paperwork. They didn't ask if my mom wanted to be a joint signer. It was more so of me, you know, carrying out the relationship instead of my mom. And I really appreciated that. So I stuck with them throughout and the customer service was great. And I started hearing more about Chase and then more about Jamie Diamond, how great he was and all the things that they were doing. And when I got to college, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is, I got presented with Morgan Stanley and I'm like, okay, cool. Morgan Stanley seemed really nice. You know what I mean? But that's where everybody else was headed because my school was like a feeder school for Morgan Stanley. So I was like, okay, I kind of want to be a little different. Long story short, I applied. And when I applied, I honestly was like, okay, there's like a little chance that I might get an interview. Got the interview, right? I show up to the interview, and I kid you not, there was a kid that flew in from uh, Italy to take the interview, another kid from Harvard, another kid from Stanford, and then there was a kid from UW-Madison that literally hugged the, the market manager as we walked into the, the building. I went up the elevator with her. We were talking. I was like, what's up, blah, 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 right? She gets off the elevator, sees the market manager, which is which name was Doyle at the time, and literally hugs her, hugs him right in front of me. I'm like, yeah, there's no reason I'm here. There's, I'm not gonna get a call back. End up getting a call back, and uh, really cultivated some relationships there. Went to a few conferences before I was hired, uh, just to like build some network. 
But I think that really helped as well because when I told them I applied, they said they would, um, you know, try to help out my application process. So I think that helped. Wait, have you ever met Jamie Diamond or attended like a forum with him? Oh, of course, of course. Part of training is you get to uh, go to a fireside chat and basically ask Jamie Diamond, Jamie, whatever you want. Wow, that's cool. Really prepare some questions. Asked them. It was about 150 analysts at the time, I think. So we all was in there. And he's a really, when they say be yourself at work, he exudes that full confidence. He comes in in jeans and in, 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 in a suit, and he's a CEO, and everybody else is wearing purely suits and ties. Like, that's, you know what I mean? His word is powerful at that front. So. Wait, so when you mentioned being yourself, one thing that I find is that a lot of minorities, when we enter corporate America, um, we sort of like wear a mask. Do you have like yeah. any advice on being authentic in the workplace? I am so happy you asked this question. So I actually asked this question to many of my mentors when I was going into JP Morgan. And I also asked people that worked at JP Morgan. And I'm gonna give a shout out to, to my man, Steven Weddle. Uh, he works in JP Morgan and he gave me probably the best answer. I've ever heard he said you learn to be yourself but just present it in a different way around different circum around in different circumstances by that I mean you stay true to who you are and basically know where you come from know your story relate your story and like create who you want I mean and, and really understand who you are however you present it on the outside as a different way in a different way but also staying true to you so yes i would say that in corporate america from time to time we have had to put on fast and we have had to be um we have had to put on a certain perception however i feel as though it's becoming a more evolved um workplace or at least at jp morgan it has to where you can be yourself a little bit more i'm not saying come in sweatpants and you know like just be holy like it is what it is i'm me and i'm not gonna change i would say you should probably cultivate yourself to match your situation but also stand out in your situation that makes sense you know what i mean yeah yeah like you want to be in a classroom right if you're a student you will want to present yourself as a student however you will want to present yourself as a high quality student which means that you are answering questions. You're not just slouching off. You're not sleeping in class. I mean, it's, it's levels to the amount of, uh, it's levels to basically presenting yourself in the public. There's the inner, there's out, and then there's even beyond that. That makes sense. So do you have um, any advice on what current college students can do to land an internship or full-time job in banking or in private wealth management coming from a non-target school? I will give them a few words of advice. The first is network. Don't be afraid to be out there. Do not be afraid to put yourself out there, especially to companies that you want to work with. I will tell you this right now. Sometimes we look at our, we look at being minorities as a disadvantage. I would say flip that to being come to it being an advantage we are high quality people like those that are at hbcus were accepted for a reason to have the confidence of 
uh, to become as great as they want to be. Companies are looking to hire minorities. Like that's literally their goal. Like their goal is inclusion and diversity. Like that's a goal they have, right? If you are a high quality prospect and you're a minority, that's like a double plus for them. So like start thinking of it that way, network, and also don't be afraid to put yourself out there in any way and be your true authentic self, you know? Being yourself and pursuing whatever passion you have will definitely go a long way. So what does your role consist of as an analyst? Like, are you going out looking for clientele? Are you doing more analytical work or maintaining current clients? I'm doing a mix of all three of those things. So like uh, I do what's what's known as prospecting. So we prospect to see who would fit our uh, segment, which is like the five to ten, five to anywhere from five million and up segment. Um, you know, see who's been selling business, see who's been promoted to CEO stuff, things of that nature, um, as well as uh, maintaining current client relationships. So my main goal is honestly maintaining current client relationships. However, I do do a little bit of prospecting. I do go on meetings sometimes with uh, my banker if they uh, need assistance with anything or, if, you know, they want me to be to meet whoever the client or the prospect is that the meeting that uh that they are meeting um and another thing is like i also uh basically do a little analytical work for inside of the firm so like for our personal branch i do like the weekly deposit flows like to show basically who's been uh moving money in and out of the firm so stuff like that like do a little bit of analytical a little client facing as well as a little prospect can you describe like the day in the life of a private bank analyst so it varies. I'm going to describe mine because I know that in New York, in the New York office, is very different than in the California office. And in California, is very different than Texas and things like that. So we all do different things. Um, from, my, from my experience, you know, you get in a little bit earlier around like 7 a.m., 7.15 a.m. Um, and basically, you know, you're, you're running through your emails trying to figure out um, what's and then you just what's uh, of priority and what's not. And from there, you know, you just continue on a day. It's a fast paced environment. You're thinking on your toes often. You get hit with different tasks from different people at different times. Um, it's really about prioritizing and managing your workload. Um, and to be honest, you do get flexibility though. Like you can set goals. It's a very flexible work schedule. You know, you can come in at 6.30 if you want to one day, 6.30 a.m. and leave at four if you want to, or you can come in at seven and work till 7 p.m. if you want. Or you could schedule events in between your workday and no one really would be upset with you or anything of that nature. They actually expect you to set your life around your work, which I love. Like they integrate, they want you to integrate your work in life. So it's like work-life balance. Um, but I would say you get off around 6 p.m. I usually get off around 6 p.m., 7 p.m. Um, and usually you're hit with different tasks some of them can seem mundane but others of them are very analytical so you're learning every single day so that's the one thing i really enjoy as an analyst at jp morgan i told you i come came up from a rougher background that we really didn't know a lot about financial education and the financial literacy that i'm getting there is exceptional you know what i mean like learning how to structure a business how to how to properly structure a business you know what I mean? Like one learning about 
What's the difference between a revocable trust versus an irrevocable, irrevocable trust? Whether it's set up a Roth IRA versus a regular IRA, or how to set up an LLC, which type of LLC you should set up? Should you set up an S Corp versus a C Corp? Things of that nature. Like, I love all of that because I feel like that will allow me to better empower my people. Um, and also, you know, if in the future I would like to start my own business, I would know how to structure it the correct way. So it's like I'm it's like I'm almost getting paid to get an MBA in finance to me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So this is something that I think maybe a lot of people might wonder when they think about private wealth management. So like when it comes to looking for clientele, how do you find people, especially when you have a requirement of having a net worth of over five million dollars? So Google and guessing. Really? That's that's what it is. It's literally news, Google guessing. So let's say someone sells a business, right? Most of the time they don't disclose the amount that the business is sold for. However, right? We use a little bit of private equity, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm going to use a little bit of my venture capital background. If a company sales revenue is posted anywhere or if they have an estimate revenue of about $12 million, right? Yeah. Company is sold for $12 million. Usually they are sold for a, a multiple. Let's say five, four. Five or four. Let's just say five because five is an easier number. If they're sold for 5X, usually they go based on their sales revenue. So yeah. if they're selling 12 million units, 12 million dollars worth of product, and they're sold for five times that amount, it's probably 60 million, close to 60 million dollars. Owners usually take, owners usually have more than 51% stake in a company, which means they get more than 51%. I mean, use well, in our segment, they have more than 51%. So we're expecting a payout from them of about $30 million. Then we just, then from there, contact the client, I mean the prospect and, you know, work out, see if they're interested. And if they're interested in us managing their money, they'll tell us all the financial details we need. You know, a good wave right now is YouTubers. I, so that's the thing. I've, there's a, there's a gamer there's a famous gamer who's worth like Cutie million dollars. I think so. And he's in our office. He's like in Madison, Wisconsin. Wow, it's probably Crazy. him. He's he's so, like the biggest YouTuber. Yeah, so it's like, he's making all this money and I'm like, we should go after this guy, right? They like, he doesn't have any money. I what? showed them like- They're crazy. The all of them are millionaires. Like, exactly. I was like, this is like, he's making a real life bank right now. We should go after him. So we've been trying to go after him after that. But like literally, and what's crazy, our oldest banker is the one that's trying to go go after him. I'm like, if so you can't know, connect um, with him, kind of. That's weird, but that's I'm like, dude, he's somebody younger. Like, what are we doing? Like, we sending the oldest guy who barely, who literally asks me almost every other day about how to send an email. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, come just because he's a partner or something or managing director. I don't know. It was like, it was like he was. I think he was the one that was like, I'll take it without understanding exactly what the guy does. That makes sense. Actually, so, even the YouTubers who have like around 400,000 subscribers make millions of dollars. But I think the thing about it is they spend so much money, so it might not be a net worth of a million. I don't know, but they make a lot I'm of money. I'm not sure. I know that like... You can look it up on, they have a website where you can look it up. I can send it to you. Please send that because like, I'm gonna be really honest. I was thinking about getting into, into the YouTube name. Like it's probably all of the people who work in the California office that are getting those clients, though. Yeah, they're they're a lot more tech focused and also like 
more savvy around trends to be really honest our office is mainly business owners we're in a city where we're in a land where our demographic is more so like manufacturing companies and hard nose you know nobody's gonna none of none of nobody around here is gonna drive up in a ferrari it's being honest they may have it i know clients that have some but they don't do that because they don't want their client they don't want their employees to to view them that way you know to view them as very very successful or very very wealthy like we are in that type of town where it's more humble and it's more focused on like blue collar all right, so you interned at JP Morgan before you started full time, but yep, I'm assuming, yep. but I'm assuming full time is a little bit more intense than the internship internship since you don't have like intern events and things of that nature. So, is there any advice that you wished you were given before you started? The internship or the full time position? Full time. Um, both, actually, both. I guess. I don't both. Know. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's do both. So for the internship, right? I would tell you this. Establish good habits from the start. That's the first thing I would say. And network. And just be just be your authentic self. Network. And start with good habits from the start. If you are authentic, they will see that. Like these people, they have three months to basically judge whether you are a fit for their company or not. I will tell you this right now. Most of the time, it comes down to who you are as a person your work ethic, and who you are as a person. So if you establish good habits, you'll be fine. Even those that don't have a finance background, even those that may seem like they're overwhelmed to start, we all are overwhelmed to start. Ask those questions. Have confidence that what you're asking is likely the right thing to ask and your intern. So even if it is not the most educated question, you're gonna get a pass. Like, they're going to be okay with that. That's one thing that I, I wish I would have known. I was more on the, I, I wanted to not seem like I, I, I wanted to seem like I knew more than what I did. And I think that over time, I got comfortable with asking the simple question. You know what I mean? Like, if I ask the person, what's the difference between a, a regular IRA and a Roth? And you don't know that and you're in finance, you should probably know that. But it's okay if you're an intern ask that question because like we don't expect you to know that it's okay um and full time i would say this i would say establish good habits from the start and develop your you need to develop a routine to stay organized and stay on top have to get comfortable with a routine and i know that sounds like oh that's so boring it's 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 like it will keep you in a very level place when in finance everything is moving at 100 miles an hour so it'll keep you level to have a routine on how you check over things have a structured process on how you do certain things so that way when the thing that you don't have a process comes up you'll be able to take care of it spend your time there but then jump right back into your other things that you have a process set up for it makes you more efficient wait so if someone is coming in full-time like in finance, but they've never done like a finance internship or they might major in like English or something. Yep. Do, are they still held to like the same standard or do you guys have like any training so that they will develop um, the skill set to, uh, yeah, to, to succeed in the job? We have excellent training. 
Yeah. And just being completely honest, as a finance major, I would say that I probably learned more in my job than I have when I was at school. So being in a full-time position, I feel like I've learned more applied knowledge than I would have being at Fisk University. And that's no knock to Fisk. Fisk has a great wealth management, uh, finance, sorry, finance um, department, and they teach wonderful content. However, being in that occupation, you learn so much that it's, it's ridiculous. Like, honestly, me and someone that learned a law in uh in college will probably start off at probably the same same place when it comes to the amount of content that you that we receive all right so you know what they say your network your network is your net worth and in your work in private wealth management relationships are essential so has there been any time where networking has helped you achieve a goal oh everything almost everything in life (laughs) yeah (laughs) um Networking helped me get into college. Uh, shout out to Miss Corey. She basically has been a great, great, great resource for me. She was uh, my recruiter um, when I went into uh, Fisk University. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have got in. So I really am appreciative of her. And she's become a lifelong friend from that and mentor. Um, but yeah, like almost everything, like HBCUVC, that came about because Chris Hatch. Uh, one of my best friends at Fisk University, he recommended it. I met you because of it, which is awesome. You're a great person. And just like uh, all of the things that I've done basically have come from networking. So I would say like, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say lean on it for everything. You definitely are going to have to work hard. And I definitely would, wouldn't suggest thinking that, oh, I'm just going to know these people and, you know, then I'll be plugged in. Like, no. You should work. You should definitely carry your own weight, but carrying your own weight and having people around that notice your weight, that notice like how great you are, it's awesome. It opens up a lot of doors. I mean, like, it really does. All right, so the last question um, is kind of random, but if you could have one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> I would probably have the power to control molecular atoms. Just because, like, if you think about it, we all are made up of them. So that way I would essentially control, you know, the world. Not saying I'm a control freak because yeah, I'm not into that kind of stuff. But, like, just being able to fly, I would be able to, like, disintegrate and create things at my whim which is awesome. I will be able to create an entire city just by, you know, manipulating cells. So, I mean, manipulating atoms. So that would be great. All right. So like all in one. Superpower. All in one. Yeah. I'll just get everything. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> just get everything. I love it. All right. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. And I, re- I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. If you made it this far without skipping, thank you. I appreciate your support. And this will conclude this episode.